Hello to everybody who enjoys a good jungle cruise. It's beautiful anonymous. One hour, one phone call, no names, no holds barred. I'd rather go one on one. I think it'll be more fun, and I'll get to know you, and you'll get to know me. Hello, everybody. Welcome to Beautiful Anonymous. Chris Gathered here. As always, I feel very, very lucky to be the host of this show. Now that I've been out performing on the road again, people who listen to this show have been coming out again. And I have to tell you something. The other comedians who perform with me consistently say, your audiences are the kindest groups of people we've ever performed with. I thank you for that. And it's true. I'm lucky that all these people who want empathy and humanity have, uh, have had my back. So thanks for supporting the show. Thank you to everybody in Austin in particular, and Baltimore's the next one, blah, blah, blah. ChrisGeth.com, it's not about that today. What it is about is a call that fits into a category I really love. Everybody knows, I think one of the times this show is at its best is when people have something that's a very simple setup. It's just, I work in something that you've heard of a million times, but you've probably never talked to anybody about in depth. There's real joy to that for me. Really gets my gears turning. And one thing that every town has, every single one of us grew up somewhere near a funeral home. And there's people who work in those funeral homes. And they do all the things that happen at funeral homes. And our caller today used to be a funeral director at a funeral home. As soon as I hear that, you know me, I go, wow, that is so specific. Has so many emotional aspects to it. So many taboo things that, you know, I think there's a reason that a lot of us don't ask too many questions about it. It seems like this thing that's hidden. We get to hear from our caller about what it was like working in that field, what she's done since, why she left. And uh, as you can imagine, both very, very informative, goes in some directions you're not going to see. And as always, kind of find some opportunities to hit you in the gut in ways that I didn't see coming that I bet you're not going to either. Enjoy this call. Thank you for calling Beautiful Anonymous. A beeping noise will indicate when you are on the show with the host. Hello? Hi. Hi. This is Chris. It is. Oh, hi, Chris. How are you doing? How am I doing? I'm on... Day one of a 14-day quarantine. That's how I'm doing in, Can- in Canada. Even though I've been fully vaccinated for over a month now, Canada's still very yeah. strict, so I respect it. and I'm here for work, but I have to sit in a hotel room for 14 straight days. Day one. So we'll see how it ends. Oh, yeah. My, um, my dad recently went to Hawaii, uh, like, oh man, for like two weeks. And I don't know how he got in, but he did. And there was a similar situation where they needed like a negative COVID test within the last 48 hours, even though he's been vaccinated since like January. Um, yeah. So it's weird. That it's like, even with the vaccination, it's still like they want to really make sure you don't have it when you go places. Yeah. I haven't been anywhere in a while, though, so I don't know firsthand. This is my first time on a plane in, a, what, close to a year and a half. And I usually fly so much 
and I had a seven hour flight delay at my layover. And then, <laughs> and then this quarantine situation, I'm like, this is a, a real welcome back to travel, but I can't complain. <laughs> I have a good life. How are you? I'm doing okay. Um, yeah, I, uh, well, first thing to know, if I start talking really fast, just because I took my Adderall this morning. <laughs> oh. And so I'm definitely like a little jacked up, but ready to I'm so psyched. Listen, I'm so psyched you said that because you just reminded me I forgot to take mine. Hold on. Oh. I got switched back to the Adderall recently. I don't know if I've mentioned this on the show. I'm just going to go ahead and grab it. This is a first, everybody. To all our listeners, this is a first. I'm actually taking my medication while on the show. Thank you so much. Yeah. Well, it's good. You need it. Yeah. Yeah, it's helping. And truthfully, I haven't I haven't listened to the show in a couple of years now. Mm-hmm. Um, but I used to listen to it all the time. Um, I had like a, a hour long commute uh, to school and back from school. Uh, for a while there so it was like the perfect length for that commute so i'd listen to like two episodes a day and every single day so and then at some point yeah. at some point old gether dropped the ball you said i'm not into this anymore just not into it Gether. no no <laughs> what happened was is that i got the job that i was going to school for and oh, then the cool. job took over my life so that's what really happened. well congratulations then i'll stop giving you a hard time <laughs> Thank you. What's this? Uh, what's this job that you you went to school for? So, uh, the job that I went to school for was as a funeral director, um, and for all intents and purposes, a funeral director in Oregon pretty much means cremation coordinator. Like, I get all the paperwork that's needed to go through a cremation after someone has passed away. Um, you know, I, I talk with the family and, and get all the signatures that are required, uh, and kind of explain how the process goes. And then, um, the cremation happens and I put the remains into an urn for them and release that to them. So that's pretty much what the job entailed. But in school, I learned so much more. <laughs> it was like a year's worth of, um, just learning how to embalm a person, learning about the science behind decomposition and all this stuff that I never actually ended up using. It was pretty much like, here's a glimpse into how it used to be. Uh, But what you're going to do is sit at a desk and argue with old people all day. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. (laughs) So, wow, that's... It's loaded. I know. Like well, I, I always thought when I was listening to the podcast, I was like, oh man, if I ever got on this thing, I would have a lot to say <laughs> about it. Well, that that's kind of how the show survives is having that impulse. I'm glad that I'm glad we hooked yeah. you back here when you saw the phone number. Well, it's, it, here's what's blowing my mind is uh-huh. you sit here, you go, I became a funeral director. I go, oh, okay, we're going to have an hell of a lot to talk about with that for an hour. Right. Yeah. And you kind of explain it. And then you go, yeah, but at the end of the day, it was mostly just talking. Wait, how did you phrase it? It's just like arguing with old people a lot of yeah. it. Go, oh, so, yeah. so it's like this dual question thing, right? Of like, what made that 
such a dream job for you. And then secondly, it's so sad to hear that it just, it sounds like it kind of had the same frustrations as like a lot of sort of customer service jobs, huh? Oh, definitely. Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of the, it's a dichotomy that I've definitely been like kind of trying to wrap my head around this whole time. Like when I went to mortuary school, um, I was in a class with like, you know, who you would expect to be in a mortuary program. Like a bunch of goth kids? A bunch of goth kids, definitely. I went into it um, as a kind of a blank slate. Like I'm I'm not a weird goth kid. I have some weird goth tendencies, which mm-hmm. I think you need to, to even consider this mm-hmm. career. But mm-hmm. uh, I, I, I think I think of myself as as kind of just a neutral person, a pleasant person. Um, and I suppose now is the time to bring up the fact that I used to work at Disney uh, as what? an attraction operations person like i i drove the jungle cruise boat (laughs) yeah (laughs) so i started there i i i worked there through college talking about (laughs) talking about you i have not reacted that you haven't listened a couple years it's been a long time since i've given anybody a what are you even talking about (laughs) you went from the jungle cruise to cremating bodies yeah i really did um, How? and people hear that and they have a similar reaction of like, wait, those are so different. But the thing is, is that now that I've, I've spent time doing both, I found that they're very similar in that there are, you know, there are similarities between the two. Like you would think, Oh, the happiest place on earth and then a funeral home. But I think at the core of it, your job whether you're at Disneyland or at a funeral home is to, you know, make the best of the situation that you're in with these people and, you know, guide them and make them feel welcome and make them feel better, essentially. So you're sitting here right now, publicly proclaiming that operating the Jungle Cruise at Disney World is in fact good training for being a funeral director. 100% yes. That is what I'm proclaiming. <laughs> wow. Wow. So now, okay, I'm stymied. I'm officially stymied. So yeah. it's, I think a lot of people out, out there would say the idea of actually handling human remains Um that that's the intimidating part. You're saying that it was all the sort of logistics and paperwork and being on the phone. So you were kind of like bummed that it wasn't more about the dead bodies. Uh, yes and no. Um, I would say that by the time I had been doing the job for a couple of years, I settled into kind of the routine of the paperwork. Um, and kind of accepting that as <laughs> the way it was. Mm. So are you st- I don't mean to like come across as like having an agenda or anything like, you know, I, I obviously don't... I called in and saying, yeah, I want to talk about my story. No, but, I mean... like something that's important to me is that like the, I think that the discussion around death and kind of 
our our preconceptions about it um, is something to be talked about more and addressed more and and more casually because it is such a it's one of the very few universal truths about mm-hmm. about life you know so that's kind of what I'm I'm here to do and what I was there to do in my job too is to kind of you know keep it light keep it you know keep it a conversation worth having um, and get through it all together. Well, I am into that. I don't think you came off as having an agenda at all. I'd go so far as to say that revealing you were a Jungle Cruise tour operator at Disney and a funeral home director, I'd be hard-pressed to even identify what the agenda could be behind that. So I think you're good. (laughs) Um, I love what you're saying about wanting to sort of demystify the idea of death. I'd love to talk to you more about that. I do want to, something that I picked up on, you had talked about going to school for this job. Um, and when you were going back and forth, also, I just pieced it together. God bless it. You're going back and forth to the school, hour commute each way, listening to beautiful anonymous on the way there and the way back. So this means you're going to the, the you're going to school very oftentimes on the way there. You're listening to an episode about someone who escaped from a religious cult. You're studying yeah. how to dispose of dead bodies. And then on the way home, you might hear from someone who is about to go to federal prison for getting um, sucked into the world of meth distribution. So these were not the most, these were not the most no. um, happy-go-lucky times of your life when you were listening to the show, I would imagine. Yeah. Now that I think about it, looking back, I did listen to some intense, things while also studying intensely. Now, but when you first brought it up, if I heard right, you said the job was. You did not say the job is. So it sounds like is this something you've you've left behind? For now, yeah. For now. Um and I think I think what you just said actually kind of contributes to it that I was so gung ho and so like into what I was learning about and I was so so uh, excited about the opportunity to help all these people um, that I I failed to pace myself um, and got burned out pretty quickly Um, it took about two years to get burned out to the point that I did Um, and so yeah I think Part of it was that I was kind of proceeding with life as normal as if this wasn't all very intense subject matter and wasn't, you know, affecting me. Like I would always tell myself that, oh, you know, I, I can handle this because I've, I've touched an ovary, you know, <laughs> like <laughs> I can I can handle anything, you know. They, well, they uh, but, say that's when you know they, they they that popular expression. If you can touch an ovary, you can handle anything. Yeah, I mean, and that's what I would tell myself for a long time. Um, but then the pandemic started, and I think you know, all across the board, everywhere, the cracks began to show in things um, in society and everyone's job working from home and stuff. We never worked from home. Um, you know, we're 24 seven, 365 operation. Um, I 
I was lucky in that I worked in in just the office. So I met with families and it was a Monday through Friday type of deal. Uh, so I wasn't having to go out in the middle of the night and pick anyone up or I wasn't having to do any of that stuff, which funeral directors typically are expected to do. I just happened to work for a, a company that had those duties separated. Um, and so, you know, I had your nine to five Monday through Friday. Uh, but, um, yeah, we never worked from home during that. Uh, and it got to a point where the, the amount of work and the caseload was growing with the pandemic. Um, and it became a lot to handle and I didn't really adjust anything about the way I was handling any of it. Uh, you know, hindsight is 2020 and I'm, I'm just kind of realizing all of this after, uh, I had left the job, but yeah, I think I kind of pushed forward, kept going, was in denial about how much this was affecting me. Um, and it had gotten to the point where, you know, my memory was, was going like, I, I didn't have any short-term memory, uh, over the last few months that I worked and, um, and also cases were sticking with me more than they used to. Uh, you would think that it would be the opposite where the more families you help, the less you, you know, see individuals. It was kind of like I was like my my barrier between me and them was torn down and now cases were getting in and and I was thinking about them after I clocked out. Uh, And that's a sign of, you know, some some trauma there and some definite like you need to slow down and and get this sorted out. Uh, and in my case, it involved, uh, quitting my job, which is something that I did not plan to do. Um, it's something that I still kind of struggle with. Like, well, why did I do that? Cause it comes up every once in a while of like, well, I don't have a job, so I can definitely pick you up from the airport or, you know, things like that, where I feel a little embarrassed about it, but I think it was the best move for me. Um, I can't imagine anybody's can't imagine anybody's blaming you because it's you know I feel we're sitting here laughing about oh ha 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 Disney and then funeral director what a crazy combo and then you go mm-hmm. I'm sitting here in that energy going well why'd you quit and you go well Chris I don't know if you heard but <laughs> hundreds of thousands of people died from a disease that didn't exist uh, 24 months ago and guess what yeah being a funeral director in the midst of that not easy. So I, I do apologize. I was kind of laughing at the broad strokes, but yeah, I mean, I I have to imagine there aren't, there aren't too many people who would expect you to feel like when you're saying you feel like, Oh yeah, I can pick you up at the airport. Like, yeah, no, I think there's probably a lot of people in your life who are thrilled that you quit because that cannot, you don't think of it, right? You think that's the whole thing that drives me crazy about all these people who are in the early days going, oh, it was just a flu or people now who are like, oh, I don't want to get vaccinated, man, like freedom where you go. It's not just about you. It's about 
every hospital that starts overflowing, every mm-hmm. funeral that starts overflowing, every service that has to shut down because a worker's getting sick. You go, oh my, oh my God, that's right. Like every funeral director in the country is probably in a position like you were this past year where you go, we can't believe what we're seeing. And this is not what I signed up for. You know, I have to imagine that that's industry wide. Definitely. Oh, definitely. And there's been like, there's been a couple of like support lines and stuff that have popped up in the last year just because everyone is so like overwhelmed you know i i i'm like in a couple of facebook groups of female funeral directors and stuff and you know we all share resources with each other about like hey if you're like tired take a break (laughs) you know little reminders like that because it is like the kind of thing that people need to hear is is that this is still like this is a this is a regular job, but it is also an intense job and you need to take care of yourself. Let's pause there. The understatement of the year. That's this is an intense job. Yep. Yeah, I think that's I think we can that's something we can all agree on. Yes, indeed. There's gonna be a lot of other things to uh, explore, agree on, disagree on, who knows? We'll be right back. Thanks to the advertisers who helped this show happen. Now let's get back to the phone call. This is a this is a regular job, but it is also an intense job, and you need to take care of yourself. I'm glad to hear there's a funeral director community. I think, I think for a lot of us, we think of it as like, oh yeah, you drive past the funeral home, and then there's those people who are in there, and they do their mysterious thing, and it's kind of macabre and dark. You go, oh, no. All right, just like any other profession, people study to do it, and and there's and it, there's networks of people who can lean on each other and share advice and techniques and all sorts of industry. I'm sure there's all sort of industry standards, and it's not like I think some of us. Did you ever find that when you were doing it, do people kind of feel like oh, like those are the monsters, like the monsters live in there, the funeral people? And you're like, oh no, it's you yeah. can go to school and get a degree for it. Actually, we're not. We're not like yeah, Frankenstein's yeah. back here. Yeah. I think uh, like something that has shifted is that a lot of funeral directors now are female um, or uh, identify as female. Um, and like, I think that has really changed the, the perception of funeral directors in a way. And I think when people would walk into my funeral home and saw that I was the one meeting with them um, and I was, you know, kind of not bubbly. I don't want to say that I was ever bubbly, like in a disrespectful way, but I definitely. You ran the jungle cruise. You ran the jungle cruise. (laughs) It's true. I have a certain way of talking. I can't not talk the way I do, but like I, 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 I would lay things out very matter of factly for them. I would, you know, be compassionate, but also, you know, tell them what the steps are and and to really enforce the signatures that we needed or enforce the information we needed. So like, I think their experience going in probably was that they were expecting like this gaunt old guy in a Mm -hmm. dusty coat, (laughs) like, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. uh, trying to take all their money. I don't know. There's so many 
preconceptions about it. And I think once they come in, they sit down with me, um, they came out of it feeling definitely a lot differently about what we do and what, and kind of what the, the death process can be like. Um, I, I think there are lots of people like me in this profession, um, more than you would expect. And I think going back to the Disney thing, I think it is really good, uh, training for how to kind of gently handle what you're given and to, you know, be as positive as you can, even if it's the most negative experience of someone's life, bringing in a little bit of of positivity or at least just reassurance that you're there to help them and that you can um, make them feel better. That It all comes down to that for me. I love that. I love that. Yeah. So you had, I think that's a lovely thought and a good one to segue towards. You had said earlier that you have some sort of broad thoughts about the conversation surrounding death and and how maybe we as Americans could handle it a little bit better across the board. I'd love to hear more about that. Well, I mean, obviously, since I, I worked as a funeral director, I was very comfortable talking about it. And so now at this point, it's like, yeah, it's just a part of, of everyday conversation for me. Uh, you know, as much as the people in my life love to talk about it all the time, <laughs> it's kind of all I have to talk about sometimes. Uh, but I don't know. I, I, I would like to see a future that it is part of an, of an every, not maybe not every day, but definitely a conversation. Um, sociologically like the generation the generations are growing up right so the baby boomers are all getting old and their millennial kids are having to take care of them and I think there needs to be open dialogue about expectations about taking care of them when they are elderly and and about kind of end of life plans and making steps towards that to lessen the burden on uh, the younger generations, because that's what I found. So not only would we do like at need arrangements, so at need being when someone dies, it's an at need, <laughs> um, but we also would do pre needs. So it would be people coming in to either prearrange their own cremation for when they die, or prearrange cremation for a parent of theirs that just went on hospice and is expected to die soon. Um, we would, we would handle a lot of that. And I think leading up to the pandemic, I think people were more and more comfortable with making those plans because they were seeing like, Oh, if I don't prearrange this, then my kid has to pay for it or my kid has to figure it out. And I don't want to put them through that. Um, so yeah. Uh, I, that's, that's part of it is that I, I, I do want to see a future where it is known between parent and child, what the parent is expecting, uh, at the end of their life. And the child knows what to do when that end comes. Um, and something interesting too, is that going back to like when people would come in and, and meet with me and, 
feel better about the whole process is I would get, I mean, it sounds, it sounds horrible to say it this way, but I would get repeat customers. Like, you know, like I would serve one family and then I would do a pre-need for their neighbor because they told their neighbor about what I was doing at my funeral home and that they should come in and make those pre-arrangements with me. And so it was a little bit like I had, I had clients really. It sounds macabre, but there were multiple cases of, of, oh yeah, you know, our, our friend, uh, met with you and and <laughs> did their prearrangement and now we're here to do the same thing we want the exact same thing that they got drop the contract let's go <laughs> and, and yeah i don't know it it definitely made me feel good that i was a direct uh i was directly impacting that decision they were making for their lives like you said, it's, it's, um, it is a macabre thought and in some ways, like kind of a darkly funny one of like, oh, my friend down the block told me that we had to see you. You're the best at this. It, there's something to chuckle about there, but <laughs> like also. Hairstylist or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My friend, you gave my friend a blowout and she looked fantastic. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so there's something yeah. funny, but, but also then you think about the real side of it and you go, what an honor, right? What a, what a hugely flattering thing of well, someone in my life was handling something so tragic and brutal and, and hard to handle. And they said that you, you did right by them. That, that's actually, when you get past the, the macabre laugh behind that, that's actually a huge honor, a really huge honor. Yeah. Oh, definitely. Like when I left the job, I, I almost didn't because of the families that I was serving and the people I knew that I had helped. And, you know, that was almost enough to make me stay and wade through the, the paperwork and the turmoil of, of corporate funeral home life. Um, but I decided ultimately, no, I need to take care of myself. I can't take care of these families right now if I'm not taking care of myself. But yeah, no, that was always the best part was the feedback I would get from them and the just just seeing the results of of what I was doing. It felt so good. That, that, so good. <laughs> yeah. And and it, it actually now all the dots are connecting where you go. Of course, like you're this year that's so overwhelming, you are as on the front lines as any other frontline worker. Probably I would also have to imagine your industry probably one of the first ones to start going, Hey, something is really wrong. Like something really bad's happening. I have to imagine yeah. way before it was in the news. But what I love about what you just said is you sit here and you go, you can't do what I do and be burnt out because people are already, nobody's seeing you unless they're already having a really, really hard day. So you can't not yeah. be at your best because by definition, people who are seeing you, they're already dealing with a lot. So you got to be able to bring it and do what you do. So I think it's actually really selfless and commendable for you to take a step back and go, if I don't have this in me, I, I can't be out here making people's lives worse. Can't be doing yeah. it. I remember when my grandma passed away on my mom's side. It's a mm -hmm. pretty infamous story. And if my uncle hears this, I apologize for airing this out, but... 
my, uh, you know, everybody's upset. And then at the wake, first of all, I don't know if you've had any Irish Catholic clients, but fun times, an Irish Catholic family's wake turns fun fast. It does. It's a fact, but <laughs> there's a lot of emotions at the beginning. And, um, if I remember right, maybe my uncle had taken like a Valium or something to try to like, you know, cause it's very hard, very hard. And yeah, let's just say the funeral director who pretty much everyone in my neighborhood for generations, this one funeral home in my hometown is where every, every wake you ever went to is there. And so a lot of respect for them, family, you know, neighborhood institution, multiple people in my family, they maybe did not do the, the best job with my grandmother and the makeup style and whatnot. And my uncle who had taken something to maybe take the, uh, the edge off, I think louder than he meant to started going like, I don't even know who this is. I don't know who this person oh, is. No. And I have to imagine that that's gotta be one of the, is that the type of thing that they're teaching you about in school of like, you gotta, yeah. you gotta really look at these pictures and come close because. You Definitely. Yeah. It, I, I mean, I laugh about it now. Cause again, like, Irish Catholics also love laughing at the dark stuff, but we were all like biting our tongues. I don't even know who this woman is. It's not, I don't don't even recognize her. We're like, Oh God. Oh God. I've had that experience before of like, you know, presenting someone for a viewing, the family steps into the room, takes a look at him and says, what? That doesn't really look like him. (laughs) And you start to like mentally go through like, uh, what, what steps did I take to make sure that's him? And what do I do now? And then, and then it, you kind of come to realize, oh, they mean like that he looks different because he's dead. Right. <laughs> that's what they mean. <laughs> but <laughs> yeah, it, it is definitely a nightmare scenario because it's like, well, what if it's the wrong person? But there's, there's checks and balances. I promise that that, oh, that wouldn't sure. happen. I'm sure. I'm sure. But you definitely do go through the entire checks and balances system in your head when it happens. (laughs) It's clear to me. It's one of these jobs that I would have to imagine that when you, at at the very, I mean, you mentioned so much of it too, is almost sort of like a grief counseling side of it. And that's a whole other ball of wax. Then you said there was all the, I have to imagine too, for you to say that when you're saying you're one of the people who's on the phone dealing with relatives, in the year of COVID, I have to imagine a particularly brutal role in, in that case. Like, I, I can't imagine it. Um, but I have to imagine that when it comes to the actual sort of preparing a body for viewing, the best case scenario is that no one notices the job you did. Like, you don't need a fist bump and someone going, yeah. hey, you crushed that. You just need somebody. Yeah, no. You just don't need people to go wait a second, she's never worn her hair like that once in her life. What's happening? What? Like, right? Like, I'm going to be a fly on the wall, I imagine. Yeah. Well, interesting that you bring up the hair thing because I've had, so I told you about my experience with the family not recognizing the guy and it's freaking me out, but I've also been on the other side of it um, too, where my cousin passed away Um and he was just a couple of years older than me. So it was definitely a surreal thing. And it happened at the beginning of when I was going to school for this, but it was before I knew how to do anything. So of course, like, I'm just like, I wish I could be the funeral director for this, but like, I just started school. So we go to his viewing. Um, 
and his hair had been combed back uh, and he had never worn it that way. You know, he had kind of a receding hairline uh, as a genetic thing. My dad is completely bald. My grandpa was completely bald. Like it's, it was going to happen to him, but he really tried to hang on to the hair that he had for as long as he had it. And so with his hair combed back, he did look like a balding guy. Mm. And it was like, who are we to stand here and stare at him with his hair combed back like this? He never wore it that way. He always wore it combed forward to cover the bald, the balding. And he wore a hat most times too, which not smart if you're going bald, don't wear a hat. But, <laughs> but it let, was just let me kind write of that, like, I'm just going to write that down because I've been wearing a hat a little bit myself lately. So I'm going to cut that out. Don't do it. Okay. I don't know. I've just heard that it's bad, but yeah, I have to, yeah. I have to, <laughs> but yeah, it just, it, 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 it's one of the, it's a very unique situation when you're viewing a dead body that's been prepared uh, for that viewing is just kind of the one time that you that, like put all of your attention on a person's appearance, like uninterrupted. Cause they're just laying there and they're your whole, the whole reason you're there is to look at them. So your, your eyes going to pick up little things and it's the funeral director's job to hide those little things so that you don't see them. And that it does look like, Oh, well, yeah, that's, that's how he looks. He looks peaceful. He looks asleep. Um, but yeah, when you make any like drastic decision about hair or about, you know, how a person's mouth looks or nose looks. If you have to, if you, if you are going to purposefully do something to their hair, make sure it's right. Like make sure, talk with the family, make sure that the way that you're doing their hair is the way they ever did their hair ever, you know, because mm -hmm. it really mm -hmm. takes them out of, of that, of, of that situation. I think it, it I, I remember it. And because that happened at the beginning of my schooling, I continued that through my job and through my career is always ask the family, like, what did their hair look like? <laughs> That's basic advice right there. Ask the family what the hair looks like. God bless whoever has to fix my hair. And my family has to go like, yeah, um, it had like a tin tin poof at the front. Anyway. We'll be right back. Okay, everybody, no more breaks. Let's finish off the phone call. Always ask the family, like, what did their hair look like? Did they comb it back? Did they comb it to the side? What side part did they have? Like, make sure you get that right. Because otherwise, it's gonna, they're going to remember it. And it's going to be not positive memory in an already not positive time. <laughs> yeah. And I just want to loop back to something you said. I think I've mentioned this on the show before, but a few years ago, my parents did what, what you, you know, a version of what you were kind of advising where they, was it, I remember it was after Thanksgiving dinner, I had gone to Philly um, near my brother's house. And before we all left, they, my parents pulled me aside. They said, Hey, so when we go, Here's in our house where you're going to find a bunch of documents you need. Here, there's going to be passwords to this thing. There's going to be banking information on this. There's going to be copies of 
this type of thing here. And, and I remember being so initially like, oh, no, 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 no. Why are we talking about this? But even before the conversation was over, I was going, oh, this is such a gift. This is such a gift they're giving me. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's so, really good. Good yeah. for your parents. Yeah. I, that's best case. <laughs> yeah, it definitely, uh, I have to say that if, if any parents are out there and their kids are of an age where they can handle it, you know, I was, I mean, I was well into my 30s. But I was not, mm-hmm. I was never good at handling it. I never, I was really, the idea of death scared me so much. I, I, when I was a kid, I was a little sheltered from it when my parent, when, um, when, when relatives of mine rather would pass away and scare me. So for my parents mm-hmm. to just be like, look, it's going to happen. And here's where all this stuff you need is going to be. It was, it was actually very liberating. Now, can I ask you, can I ask you some of the sensationalistic macabre questions that I'm sure you're tired of answering and that friends feel awkward asking you until they've like had a couple of drinks? Oh yeah, go for it. I love, I love that sort of thing. So when you were in school to be a funeral director, do they have special classes that are like, here's what happens if somebody, if a body gets shot, here's what happens if a body gets really, you know, like do you, are there like different classes for like severity of things that happen um sort of um so like throughout the year you have embalming one two and three you also have um like a restorative art class so that's rebuilding someone's face uh so if they were shot in the face you could use a photo and rebuild that face with wax and cosmetics and things like that um but i wouldn't say there's a class for every specific scenario just because there's so many different scenarios but i don't know it teaches you kind of if a person is really jaundiced you would use this type of embalming fluid or if a person um got burned you would do this to the burn you would suture the skin and all that um, so yeah, I, you know, there were classes that would address that, but they weren't like individual courses in the catalog of like, oh, and now you're going to take the gunshot to the face class. <laughs> That's not, that wasn't the way it was, but it was, you know, we, we would cover those topics mm-hmm. in lessons. Mm-hmm. That's good. That's the more normal way to do it instead of my vision of a, college a college uh, course book it's like section 103 what to do if someone uh, trips and falls off a cliff section 104 yeah. uh, what to do in event of a hot air ballooning accident my cartoonish vision of that I'm glad to hear it's a, a yeah. more normal responsible version of that here's a question yeah. that I bet you mm-hmm. have to think about and that there's a lot of ethics involved and I don't want to be sensationalistic because I, as I'm about to ask it, I, I realize I think there's like some horror stories that have happened in regards to this over the years, but um, how does, how would I phrase it? Let's just get into it. You're seeing deceased people and I'm sure you're seeing them unclothed. How does your relationship with kind of the, the human body and body image and things like that, how do, does it affect it in any way to see people in that state? Most people don't see deceased nude human bodies 
in their lives all too often. No, yeah. Um, I think, well, body image-wise, I think it's only done positive things for uh, my own body image and kind of how I see the human body. Um, Part of that could be the fact that a lot of the nude people I would see were old. So the body definitely takes on different characteristics when someone is old. (laughs) Um, You know, fat gets distributed differently and, and wrinkles appear and that sort of thing. So it is like, because it's so different to my own skin and so different to my own way I look, because I'm just a chubby 28-year-old girl, <laughs> like, I don't know, there's a separation there, but it's still also an appreciation for the human body that I, I think grew with seeing it in that state. Um, because there is no way when when you're laying out flat and naked and there's no like you can't flex any of your muscles there's no way to make it look flattering like you're 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 on the table it's there's there's nothing you can do to enhance the way that you look that's the embalmer's job really but i don't know i think yeah you you really see the body for what it is and the way it works and you know, you use a lot of, of the way the body works in your embalming them. Like you use the vascular system, you use the fact that the heart pumps blood through the body and keeps us going. Um, and I don't know, it's, I, I definitely have, um, gotten a deeper appreciation, uh, for, the human body and the work that it does to keep us alive. <laughs> wow. What are you thinking about doing? You talked about how you said like, you're not sure if you'll go back. I feel like you've, you've indicated that a couple of times. Are there other things where you go, maybe it's time for me to leave this behind so I can uh, try something else. Have you thought about what those other things might be? Yeah. I mean, I've been looking around a little bit timing wise. I think I'd like to look at potentially working at a school and kind of working that schedule and kind of being like the uh, administrative support or a secretary or something like that, where I can use the skills, the computer skills and the filing skills and all that. And it's, you know, a little more low key than a funeral home, but it's still the same set of technical skills needed or some of them, you know, not all of them. But yeah, I don't know. I think that's in my future. I, I think it's a generational thing too, that I, yeah, I went to school for this and yeah, I, I, I studied for this. You would think, oh yeah, that's my, going to be my career, my whole life, lifelong career check did it. But I don't, I don't think so. I think that was just a, a step in my journey. I think I'm the kind of person that always wants to be learning new things. So I think for, for now, I'm looking for something more low key, but eventually I'll want to kind of branch out and learn more. I think I might go back to school someday. 
I have a bachelor's in psychology, but you can't do anything with a bachelor's in psychology. <laughs> so that's why I went to mortuary school. I was like, well, I don't want to like do five more years of psychology. I'll just do the one year of mortuary school and get started on life. But now I'm like going back and being like, ah, maybe I can handle the five more years to become a research psychologist or something. Especially now that I have a little more context. Bet you'd be good at it. I said, I'd bet you'd be good at it. Thank you. I'm now going to ask you a question that I have a feeling might be one of the more irritating questions that people who have worked in your field get. It might make you roll your eyes, or maybe it's something that you've had to think about more than most of us. I feel a little bit like a dummy asking about it. Don't feel dumb. Nobody knows these things except me. So do you, (laughs) do you, (laughs) well done. Do you, do you have a sense of, if if I say to you, I'm going to ask a question that I bet is one of the more annoying questions you get asked. Do you have any idea of what that might be? Um, oh, something about like the body sitting up when they're embalmed or something. (laughs) Oh, like rigor mortis. No, I was going to ask what, how do you, how are we feeling about ghosts? How are we feeling? You deal with the bodies. What do you think happens with the soul? Yeah. No, this is definitely, I don't know. People don't ask me that that much. Um, but I was thinking about it earlier today, actually, because we were, we were watching like a scary YouTube compilation of like ghosts caught on film. Um, yeah. As far as ghosts go, I do not believe in them. I do not think ghosts are real. Um, I think if they were, I would be so haunted. (laughs) Um, Uh Uh But I've never had any type of ghostly experience. I've never had any, anything paranormal happen when I was, you know, in the funeral home alone or in the morgue alone or embalming. I've never had any type of experience like that. And, you know, it could be argued that, oh, well, you know, the ghosts know that you're, you know, doing your jobs. They don't want to mess with you or, or you don't let them in. So that's why they don't bug you. And it's like, I don't, I don't know if there's all these rules about it, then who made these rules and why? And I don't think that I, yeah, I don't think ghosts exist. Uh, I'm sure other funeral directors do, and I'm sure lots of people, lots of people in my industry have had ghostly experiences, but I haven't, and I've touched hundreds of dead bodies. So, <laughs> you know, I think I, I think I would be haunted if there were ghosts. Let's yeah. say okay. They haven't got me, so <laughs> A fair maybe answer. this will be the thing that gets me, but. <laughs> Now you say you've touched hundreds of dead bodies. This makes me realize there's like there's people who donate their bodies upon death for schools, right? So are you like you're in mortuary school and then all of a sudden they're like, "Hey guys, we uh everybody come down. We got a uh a new dead body everybody can check out." Literally. So, yeah, no, literally that would it would be that way. Um They'd say, "Hey guys, we know, got another dead body. Come check it out." Uh, more or less. Yeah. That's wow. kind of how it would go. Wow. Like we would have embalming labs, um, once a week 
we would be assigned in a lab. And there would be some times where it'd be like, oh, well, we didn't get a donation for this lab. So you guys go home. But usually it was like, hey, all right, we've got a, you know, 37-year-old bike rider accident. Let's gown up and get started, you know? Wow. (laughs) It would be like that. Um, Those kinds of donations would be like the family expressly was told that, okay, your son will be used for uh, the embalming students at the community college to learn how to embalm on. So they would be told that expressly and it would be, you know, it wouldn't be like they donated their body to science and then ended up in the embalming lab. It would be, no, it was a specific thing that was disclosed between the family and, and us. Right. Um, So you were never in a situation where a family was like, we thought he was going to give his kidneys to people who needed kidney transplants. What are you doing? They knew. Everybody knew. Okay. Everybody knew. Um, Yeah, everybody knew. But I, I found that because the thing with body donation too, is that not everyone's eligible, like Mm. very Seldom are people eligible, really, to be donated. Um, it it just really depends on the schools that need cadavers or donations. Um, and then when it comes to organ donation, it's like even more strict. Like it has to be the right type and it has to be the right age. And yeah, so... What happens to the school cadavers? Like at that point, do they get passed on to a funeral home for the family or... If it's been cremated to the ashes, like, do you just serve as the funeral home at that point? What, what happens yeah. to a school cadaver? So, uh, I actually know exactly. Um, so when you bring someone in, uh, who has passed away and the family says, we want to donate their body to, um, educational purposes. So that means like a biology lab or an anatomy lab, uh, at a university, within like a certain, uh, you know, what's the word, a certain conglomerate of universities participating in the donation program. Um, and so you say, okay, no problem. Just know that it's going to be like three years until you get the cremated remains back. Uh, the reason for that is that uh, when the person comes in, they have to be uh, you know, first deemed eligible for the donation. Um, and then after that, there has to be like a certain waiting period between when they can be embalmed. Um, and then there's a special embalming process that really preserves them, um, like super duper preserves them uh, to the point where they're kind of unrecognizable after that happens. Um, but then they are put into a rotation at a school uh, to be used as a cadaver for dissection or for study at a biology lab for students, either undergraduate or graduate. Um, and then after that school year concludes, then we receive the donation back and proceed with cremation and release the cremated remains uh, to the family at that point. Um, and I've only seen the process from beginning to end a couple of times. Um, I was a funeral director for two and a half years. So I think, yeah, there was one case that 
uh, we did the donation at the beginning of me working there. And then we finally, like my last few weeks, the cremated remains uh, were processed and we released those to the family. So yeah, about two and a half to three years it takes for that donation to be completed. Um, just because they need it for the full academic year. And then there's the waiting period before. So it usually, it depends on the timing. But um, yeah, cremation is the way that we uh, give back to the family. That was one of the most thorough answers in the history of this show. <laughs> Hundreds of episodes. That was by far one of the most thorough, beat by beat, <laughs> genuine answers to a question the history of this. Well, that's show. the thing. I when when people would ask me questions about how how the process goes, it's like, well, do you want the detailed answer or do you want like just the basic answer? Yeah. But usually they want the details. Like people want to know about these things. And so I'm happy to give the detail. Do you <laughs> I, I'm sure you've read I've read about it cuz I'm just an oddball who reads a lot of things. You know about this body farm in Tennessee? Uh-huh. Yeah. That's that's a pretty wild thing, but I would imagine cool for someone who's interested in what you do. For anybody listening, this is a f I think it's in Tennessee, right? It's a farm where they like they'll like I think get it's a Texas, actually. Oh, is it Texas? Where they'll like leave a body out in a certain type of soil or rock so they can see how it decomposes. And I think that's a lot for like forensics for people yeah. to study like potential like crime scenes or if a body was dumped somewhere, they can say, oh, here's how long it was probably out here, blah, blah, blah. That's a wild yeah. thing that there's a body farm. How yeah. bad How bad do you want to go check out the body farm? Be honest. Um, on a scale of one to 10, I would say five. Okay. Like if I were given the opportunity to go visit, I would definitely go. But it's not something I need to see. Because like you said, it's more forensics. Yeah. Which yeah. is not exactly what I'm all the way interested in. Yeah. Um, cause the whole point of like embalming and preservation is to stave off those effects. So right. it right. is like opposite to what I learned to do. Fair, fair. I'll shut up about yeah. the body farm. That's my bad. Um, oh no, it's super cool. It's just, you know, I'm a five. I would go if, if given the opportunity. Right. You're not going to make a trip out of it though. You're not, you're not going to set aside no. time on a vacation if you're nearby, this type of thing. Yeah, I do want to go to Texas, and they Texas have um, a, a funeral history museum there that I want to go to. Wow. Um, see, I'm in Oregon, so I like I've kind of only explored the West Coast. I haven't seen a lot of the rest of the world or the mm. rest of the country, even. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I want to like go see down there. I want to go to New Orleans and. Savannah, Georgia, like haunted places. I want to get haunted, I think, is what I'm telling you. Is You're like, on a quest to find ghosts. ghosts. <laughs> all the most but haunted. New Orleans them. and Savannah. You're asking for trouble. I know. <laughs> asking for it. Now, we have three minutes left. This mm -hmm. You've been so open and honest. One of my favorite things with the show is when people call up and sometimes just say like, I worked in this field that a lot of people have questions about and you, you crushed that. It's yeah. awesome. I, I that do, was the plan. <laughs> yeah, you did. It was, it's so cool. And I, I just want to reiterate at the end, cause again, you do have such a good personality in the beginning. I was, I was joking. I'm going, 
as we said before, COVID is also a year that it's like, it's not a joke. And then you describing what you do and your role in the, in the actual place where you worked makes me realize I just got to thank you because of course, of course this year beat you up because we all heard stories. Families were not allowed to be with their dying loved ones. Funerals had these, you know, very strict limits on how many people could attend. And I have mm -hmm. to imagine you had so many conversations where you were the one explaining why those rules couldn't be broken. I might be wrong about that, but of course this year was going to make you need a, at least a break, if not a, a life change. So thank you for doing what you do because it's it's one of the unspoken things of you hear all those hard stories about families getting this news and you forget there was one person on that phone who was the one who had to explain that to them. And that's not easy. Yeah. No, it's not. But I was happy to do it while I while I was uh, called to do so. Um, but might be time to, to do something else now. Yeah. Might be time. Go become a psychologist. You've dealt with the body. Now let's deal with the mind. Oh, yeah. There's, there's way more mystery about that. <laughs> mm -hmm. Well, it's, I, I believe we both mentioned we're on Adderall, so I think we're both still trying to crack the code in our own rights. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> There's definitely lots to explore there. <laughs> well, we've got a, a little bit less than a minute. I really enjoyed this call. I wonder if you have any uh, closing words for the people out there. Closing words is to identify your next of kin. And if you don't like who that next of kin is, there is probably a way that you could change it before you die. So make sure that whoever is doing your funeral plans is someone that you want to be doing your funeral plans and will honor you. That's my, that's my lasting agenda. <laughs> so you can have a will that's like, Hey, my brother Doug has a real bad fashion sense. I don't want him in charge of what clothes I wear at the funeral. <laughs> you can put that in your will. Uh, as long as it's properly notarized, every state's different, but figure <laughs> out how to do it. If you really want to make sure that Doug doesn't do anything. <laughs> Can't have Doug involved. Thank you so much for this conversation. And I'm um, so sorry about how hard that last year was, but I know the families who had you while you were there were very lucky to have you. Oh, thank you so much, Chris. Caller, thank you so much for your call. And again, like I said, you made it clear. Without, without dwelling on all the trauma, you made it clear that this past year was traumatic and it sounds like you really stepped up hard. And again, just on behalf of everybody out here who was not in your position, thank you. Because I, I really did get the sense you probably helped a lot of families. Thanks for doing it. And thanks for calling. This show is produced by Anita Flores. It's engineered by Jared O'Connell, as well as Marcus Hom. The theme song is by Shellshack. Go to chrisgeth.com if you want to know more about me. Wherever you're listening, there's a button. It says subscribe, favorite, follow, some version of that. Really, really helps us when you hit that button. Find our latest merch at podswag.com. That includes mugs, shirts, posters, and more. If you want ad-free episodes of Beautiful Anonymous and a ton of your other favorite podcasts, head to Stitcher Premium. Use the promo code STORIES for a one-month free trial at stitcher.com slash premium.